sermon today, and yeah, I feel like we've got an interesting service coming up. When we talk about Jesus, we don't just want to talk about him as this distant, far-off person, but we want to trust for fresh encounters with Jesus. So maybe this morning is that day we can say, Jesus, would you come and reveal yourself to us afresh? And I'm trusting that I will preach for a little bit and then make some space and room for us to encounter a living God, a God that is alive, a God that wants to meet with you, and a God that wants fresh encounters with you. So we're going to jump in and trust that you, Holy Spirit, would come and do what you want to do this morning. We open our hearts, we open our spiritual eyes that we might see you and have a fresh revelation of who you are, and that we would be people that encounter you and our lives forever marked and changed by encountering you. So come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in this place. So one of the ancient heresies is this word, I think you guys can put my clicker, get my clicker working, please, is docetism. And this is an ancient heresy that says Jesus was not fully human. There we go, whoa. Spoiler alert, anyone watch, anyone watch the Superman movies? Anyone know who Superman is? Anyone know who Clark Kent is? So let me explain this. Docetism says this, that it comes from the Greek word to seem, arguing that Jesus only appeared to be human. As a result, they argued that his humanity was an illusion. So why am I going to put a picture up of Clark Kent? For many of us, we can see Jesus this way. Clark Kent was an alien from another planet, right? That looked like a human, that ate food and did things, but he wasn't human. He was an alien that could do some amazing things. So we can often look at Jesus and picture Jesus as someone that was not fully human. We can see him as someone who maybe was 50% human and 50% divine. But actually, Jesus was 100% deity and 100% human. And this is quite a hard concept to fully get our minds around. That Clark Kent walked and he did things in this life, but yet we all believe that he did those things because he wasn't fully human. And it is important for us to understand the humanity of Jesus. 88 times Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man, which is a title of humanity. This means that Jesus, when he looks at you, can say that I understand. I understand you. I know you. I know what you've been through and I know what you're going through because Jesus was 100% man. So the writer in Hebrews says this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2 or just look on the screens and Follow with me, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. The writer says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also has become flesh and blood. So this idea that he wasn't fully human, how could a God take on the, the fallen nature of flesh, the fallen nature of humanity? Because they put such emphasis on the deity of Jesus. The Hebrew writer says, because you and I are human, made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. 
Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come just to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, you and I. Therefore, we always have to pay attention when there is a therefore. Therefore, it is necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Three things that I want to pull this morning from this passage in Hebrews. Three revelation, revelatory ideas of who Jesus is coming from this passage this morning. So in week one, I read this passage from Colossians. And my point was to get Jesus out of just a baby that was born and lived 33 and a half years, but Jesus existed before he was born. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So there is this picture of Jesus in the beginning. And then we read that the word became, in the beginning was the word, and then the beginning, and then the word became flesh. And Philippians talks about Jesus kind of emptying himself of his position in heaven to come and be human. So Paul says, though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human. And I've been trying to understand what Jesus went through. And Grant recommended this book by John Aldridge called The Beautiful Outlaw. And he said something in this book that really helped get me to understand this Jesus who was fully human. So he says this, the eternal Son of God, light of light, very God of very God, one substance with the Father, spent nine months developing in Mary's uterus. Jesus passed through her birth canal, and he had to learn to walk. The Word of God had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He who calls the stars by name had to learn the names of everything just as you and I did. This is a cup. Say cup. Or did you think that Jesus was born into the world with the vocabulary of dictionary.com? And side note here, art can sometimes depict this baby that has this wisdom, this white glow about him like he's all-knowing and all-powerful as a little baby. No, he was a little baby that was still a baby. For age upon ages, his generous hand fed every creature on earth. Now it is that he has to be fed himself, spoon-fed, drooling most of it down his chin like every other toddler. The Son of God doesn't even know how to tie his shoes. Someone had to teach him to tie his sandals. 
Like John the Baptist said, none of us are worthy to untie or carry his, ta- his sandals. Yet the rabbi, Jesus, goes around and you're explaining this loop goes around this loop and this circle goes around this circle and this is how you tie a shoelace. Now you try it, Jesus. Picture seven-year-old Jesus in the back workshop learning from Joseph how to use a hammer and a saw. Jesus, the one that hangs the galaxies in such perfect poise, like a hundred billion stars, has to be shown how to nail two boards together. And and, um, John Aldrich says this, I take my shoes off. The humility of this is beyond words. Remember, Jesus wasn't faking it when he took on his humanity. Think of the implications. He who never tires and slumbers accepts the need for sleep. Every night, he has to sleep, like you and I. How deep was his exhaustion that kept him fast asleep in the boat when that storm was going on, when he was in the boat with his disciples? He had to eat breakfast, he had to eat lunch, he had to eat dinner to sustain his body. He needed to. He had to trim his toenails, like you and I. He who clothes the lilies in the field with the greater glory than Solomon's splendor had to do his laundry, kneeling by the side of the river, washing his, his garments that were full of dust and, and dirty. The humanity of Jesus, though he was God, he emptied himself to come and be human. So this morning I want you to know Jesus was fully human. And in our statement of faith, that it's important that you believe it because it is a foundation to our Christianity. Our statement of faith says this about Jesus. As the second person in the Godhead, Jesus Christ is God and was made manifest in the flesh through a virgin birth. Therefore, he is truly and properly God and truly and properly man. And it goes on to talk a little bit more about Jesus. He was fully human. And the author, the writer of Hebrews 2 says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. And this is an amazing thing. Because he was fully human, we get to understand something about him. And he gets to understand something about us. So he invites us to know him personally. Hebrews 2 verse 17, therefore, It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. He is relatable. He's not this weird alien that comes from a foreign place that we have no understanding about how he thinks or how he behaves. He is like you and me. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to understand who he is, his personality and his character. What was it like to come in contact with the physical Jesus? What was it like to know him in his teen years? So for those that have recently joined the church and don't really know our family well and haven't been around long enough, we have two teenage boys. I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. One of them is behind the camera back there, and the other one is serving in kids' ministry. Two same parents, two very different boys. Don't always understand how that works. Very different personalities. There may be a teacher here today who has taught both of them that will agree with me that they are different. Different, have, they have a different sense of humor. 
they find different things funny, and without embarrassing them, I will stop right there. But different personality traits. What was the 15-year-old Jesus like? What was he like? And unfortunately, we don't have many answers to this question because those, those hidden years of formation, those 30 years of formation, we don't have much to say about him. The verses are small and very vague, but I like to imagine what a teenage Jesus was like. Fully God, fully man, yet without sin. So no bad attitudes, right? Always obedient. Was he playful? I don't know. So Jesus grew up in royal and um, rural Galilee in a village called Nazareth, which probably housed around 700 to 1,200 people, so not a big place. And Joseph was a carpenter. His dad, his stepdad, was a carpenter. So Jesus grew up in a family that wasn't super wealthy, but not super poor. They weren't like landless peasants, but they were lower-class tradesmen, manual laborers that, that worked. And we don't know too much what happened with Joseph. Some people believe that he died in his early 20s because not much is said about him later in Jesus' life. But Luke tries to lift the veil of the hidden years of Jesus. So years 2 to 12, it says this. When Joseph and Mary had done all that was required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus grew and became strong. Sure, that's a lot to say about this child. He grew and became strong. And he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And there is a wonderful story of they went off to the Passover festival and the convoy was heading back home and Joseph and Mary were like, where is Jesus? And no one can find him. Here's a true story in my family. I've got three younger sisters. And there was a time we went to the bunny farm, the bunny park. Someone may remember the bunny park out that side. And my dad had a combi because four children. And that was a time where we, didn't, we weren't all strapped in seat belts and chairs. We were climbing all over the seats in our combi. And halfway home, someone said, where is Corin? And my dad was driving, going, stop joking, stop messing around. And we were all like, where is Corin? Because as we were leaving the bunny park, my mom was still breastfeeding our youngest sister and the gate hit one of the other children and we had some friends with us and we all jumped in the combi and went home and we forgot Karen at a bunny park. Now a little girl with open dams and strangers and we turned around and rushed off and thank the Lord she was safe. Mary and Joseph are heading home and they realize Jesus is gone. So they head back and they find him in the temple and he says this thing, don't you know that I must be in my father's house? Because Mary's like, your dad and I are angry, where are you? And Jesus is like, don't you know I'm supposed to be in my father's house? And I wonder how Joseph felt there. He's like, listen, I've raised you, I'm upset with you, and now you're talking about you here, you need to be about your heavenly father's business. So what was he like as a 12, 13-year-old? And then after everyone is amazed by his wisdom, you would think that now's the time to go and start your ministry as a 12-year-old. But for another 18 years, he goes back and he, and he works with his dad in his carpentry business. 18 years. 
when everyone is, wow, this guy is full of wisdom. Someone in our life group said, why did one of the rabbis not call Jesus to follow him and make him the best of the best and turn him into a rabbi? Why did they just let him home and carry on being just a normal person? So 30 years of formation for three and a half years of ministry. As I said, he apprenticed under Abba, Abba Joseph in his dad's business. And he probably spoke Aramaic. He read and spoke Hebrew and probably some Greek too because where he lived was close to a major Roman town. He went to a synagogue school and studied the Hebrew Bible. But the question is this morning, what was he like? The missing element, his personality. And on Wednesday, when we met as a life group, we asked the question, describe Jesus to me sharing some of the stories from the Bible. What was he like? Explain him to me with his character and his personality type. These days, we all do personality tests, right? Anyone done the Maya Briggs's personality? 16 personality types. What was the personality type of Jesus? Was he an extrovert, an introvert? Logical or emotional? Was he a planner or was he spontaneous? What was he like? We said in our life group, one of the things that described his character, man, he was compassionate. If we read stories of how he, he met with those that were broken and on outskirts and outcasts, he is compassionate. We said he is wise, the way that he was able to argue with the religious leaders and the wisdom that he had. We also know that he was so humble. He was willing to get on his hands and feet and wash the feet of his disciples. He was also bold and courageous. He was willing to confront certain situations and there was a time when he got quite angry in the temple and he flipped over some tables. But man, he was loving. You know, these are things that it's quite easy for us to describe his character, who he is. But how would you describe his personality as a person? What words would you use? And one of the questions that came up on Wednesday night is, did Jesus have a sense of humor? Some of you might feel, uh, I wrote there, does the thought of Christ being playful and funny strike you as a breath of fresh air? Or does it sound a little bit irreverent? Did you, do you think he had a sense of humor? See, when we read the Gospels without the personality of Jesus, it's like watching TV with the sound turned off. It can be very dry and two-dimensional. And so much of communication is the tone of voice and your body language and the, the wink in your eye. And when my house fly on the wall and I was my wife, you would think, geez, Paul's a meanie, or he's being really mean, but you're missing my little wink and my little joking tone, because there's so much that comes in knowing who we are through tone of voice and body language. And when we, when we read the scripture, I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to help it come alive. So it becomes real. Sometimes we can be so like one-dimensional, just see Jesus as this boring one-dimensional person. I never wanted to watch the Chosen series. And the reason why I didn't want to watch it is because I didn't want them to determine when I read the Bible my picture of certain situations and circumstances. 
But as the series has started, I'm like, I'm going to start watching The Chosen. And what's been fun about it is to learn the human side of Jesus. Because there he is, smiling, joking around, playing. Imagine Jesus spending three years with 12 other men. Like the amount of fun they would have had. And The Chosen helps depict a little bit of the humanity of Jesus. So if you've never watched The Chosen, I, I encourage you to watch it just as a way of learning about who Jesus is. So people love to be around Jesus, different types of people. Man, the religious leaders accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard, always seemed to be parting with the wrong sort of people. And they got irritated with him. Why would sinners want to hang out with a one-dimensional, goody-two-shoes, Mr. Killjoy, I'm above all this sort of person? No, there must have been something about him that attracted people to spend time with Jesus. And after all, God is the one who gave us a sense of humor. Do you really think Jesus came to take it away? I have come to take all joy away. I wonder how playful, and if Jesus joked around and had fun. Maybe we need to picture God as being in a good mood and not in a bad mood. Because we read scripture a certain way, we project something upon Jesus. So Jesus had a way of telling stories and sharing wisdom. I believe he had a sense of humor. Matthew 7, he's talking about judging people. And he shares this story about someone going to his friend that has a toothpick in the eye. And he says, dude, you gotta deal with that toothpick. You have a splinter in your eye. Do you think Jesus is having fun here, joking around? Take out the plank in your own eye before you take the speck out of your friend's eye. I think he was joking. I think when he's telling the story of how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. I know we can talk about a special entrance into the wall and they had to take everything off the camel, but I think Jesus is joking, like putting a camel through the eye of a needle. This you guys seem very serious. See, the problem is religion gives us the impression of having Christ while it inoculates us from experiencing the real thing. I want us to get to know who this Jesus was by knowing the Jesus of history and knowing the Jesus of faith that we get to spend time with today. So here is a passage that I'd like to read because you're going to get to this passage in our study of John. And as I read it, I want you to picture Jesus. I want you to picture his facial expressions. I want you to picture his tone of voice. I want you to picture him being in a good mood. So he's died. He's risen again. His disciples are freaking out because they're like, we thought we had something going on here and Jesus, you died. And Peter's like, says to his disciples, guys, I'm going fishing again. And the other disciples are like, yes, let's go fishing. Remember Jesus called them out of fishing and said, come follow me. Jesus now dies and they're like, let's go back. 
it's like backsliding. You're just going back to who you were, who were before. And so Jesus is walking on the shore and they're out fishing. And if we just read a little bit down to verse four, there is Jesus standing on the beach. Now they haven't caught anything. I don't know if that was Jesus' doing or they just have forgotten how to fish properly or it was a part of the dam where there just weren't any fish. But haven't caught a thing all night. And Jesus does what every other person that encounters a fisherman. Have you caught anything? And they shout to Jesus and say, no, we've caught nothing. Let's read it, verse five. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the other. So then he's probably going like, how do I get their attention? Like these guys are lost. They've gone fishing. I'm alive. I'm in a very good mood. And he calls out to them and he's like, what can I do to get their attention? They obviously don't recognize me from so far. So he's like, throw your nets on the other side. And again, like what fisherman listens to you by saying, cast more left instead of more right. The guy's like, okay, I'm gonna cast left. But they throw their nets to the other side and guess what? They catch a massive haul of fish. Then the disciple who, Jesus, who loved Jesus, Peter, gets an aha moment like this is, Jesus, because this seems to have happened before. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he gets dressed. So it says he, he had stripped for work. It's like naked fishing. We just fish in all night without our clothes on, and he quickly puts on his clothes and jumps into the water to go and find Jesus in the shore. The others stayed on the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore as they were only about 100 yards from the shore. So when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking on the charcoal fire and some bread. And Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you just caught. Now, this is a bit of an awkward thing. You know, when you kind of, you're feeling shame, it's like, sorry, Jesus, I know we shouldn't have backslid and went off fishing and I know we should have had more faith. We should have believed and there Jesus is in a good mood and he's trying to break the ice. And how do men break the ice with other men? <laughs> Have a bri. As long as it's not a fish bri, that would just dampen my mood. So Simon, so then, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus says. None of the disciples dared to ask him so you can feel the tension. They didn't wanna ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. And I can just picture him with like a grin on his face as he's just like trying to break that ice, trying to connect with these men that he spent three years every day with. And he's trying to bring them back to his heart again to say, I'm here, I'm risen, I'm still alive. I want us to read scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate scripture for us. I hope you are reading the Gospel of John. I hope you're not just skim reading it to get through it and tick off your day's reading. Read it slowly, read it three times, read it five times. Imagine yourself being there. Jesus was fully human and he wants you to know him. And I wanna end with this and then I want to invite the worship team onto stage just as I have two boys that have different personalities and I want us to know the personality, the character of who Jesus is. Then I've got teenage boys that have to be around other teenagers and teenagers can be really mean. Either you are 
too tall or too short or too fat or too thin, but teenagers can be mean. And teenagers go through their struggles that every one of us had to go through once upon a time. The third point is I want to say Jesus is relatable. Hebrews 2 verse 18 says, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Has anyone been teased or mocked before, made fun of? I don't know if you ever pictured this about the, the birth of Jesus. And we celebrate it around Christmas time, and it's a wonderful celebration. But have you ever wondered the, the pain that it also brought Jesus and his family? So Matthew is going to marry Mary. They engaged, it's a big thing, and the Jews are really make a big deal about losing your virginity. So on your honeymoon, your best man is standing outside the door, ready to confirm that you've lost your virginity, and the whole place is gonna celebrate the fact that the wedding has been consummated. And there is Matthew engaged to Mary, and all of a sudden, she's pregnant. Sorry, what am I saying? What was I saying? Matthew. No, not Matthew, but you'll find the story in Matthew. See, it says Matthew on my notes, okay? Lucy's like mouthing something to me. I'm like, don't do sign language. <laughs> Joseph is engaged to Mary. Mary is pregnant. And this is a scandal in the little town of Nazareth. This is, a big, this is big news. And for anyone that conceives before marriage, even, even Joseph is like, in verse 19, Joseph to whom she was engaged, he was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break off the engagement because this is shameful. There is a Hebrew word for being a bastard child, and that is the word mamza. A baby born of illicit unions is illegitimate and mamza, a bastard child. This is a big deal. And Jesus potentially would have been bullied and mocked for being born out of wedlock. I wonder how many people held it against him as a teenager. I know he had to deal with it later on in his life because in John verse 8, there are verses that the, the Jewish leaders go to him and say, where is your father? They say to him, we are not illegitimate children. We are not mamzers. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and a demon possessed? They are holding against him what was commonly known that he was a bastard child. And they're going, where is your dad? And Jesus says, I'm about my heavenly father's business. Why am I telling you potential pain that, that Jesus had to go through by this birth through a virgin? Because many of you are facing father and mother wounds. Many of you, without your choice, were born out of wedlock. You may not even know who your dad is. Choices that were made by someone else that you now have to live with. And we all live with the consequences of other people's decisions. 
So if you've ever been mocked, if you've ever been teased, this morning I want to say to you is Jesus understands. He knows. If you've been through a difficult time in your life, he knows. See, he took on flesh and bones just like you and me and walked on this planet. Means that Jesus knows every frustration, every hardship, every heartache, every difficulty, and every joy. He knows what laughter is and he knows what tears are. He knows what the highs in life are like and he knows what the lows of lows are like. He understands your dilemma. He is familiar with disappointment. He knows the temptation to get frustrated and he sympathizes when you get upset. Jesus knows us fully. He knows your strengths, he knows your weaknesses, he knows your family history, he knows your biological makeup, he knows your worldview, he knows every nook and cranny of us, he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he also knows suffering as an intense, at an intense personal level. Jesus' knowledge of suffering is not abstract, it's not some lofty textbook that he had to read about suffering. He was known as the man, a man of sorrows. He was mocked, betrayed, and humiliated. And as he hung on the cross, he knows what it means to suffer. Jesus knew excruciating, overwhelming, and crushing sorrow. See, knowing the Bible is one thing. Knowing the author of the Bible is another. And you might have a good knowledge of Scripture, but not know Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you have relationship with Him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? There was a song by Delirious back in the day that said, What a friend I found, closer than a brother. I have felt your touch more intimate than a lover. And then they sing Jesus. worship team can come onto stage and I want to invite Jesus in this moment to come and make himself known to a people that can relate to him. Jesus is knowable and relational. We can relate to him, we can know him and he understands and he knows. I don't just want to talk about him, I want to know him. I don't just want to read about him, but I want to, I want to understand you, Jesus. I want to know you. And I want a real relationship with you. You say in your word that my sheep hear my voice and I know them. I want to know your voice, Jesus. I want fresh encounters with you as my best friend my Lord, my Savior. I wanna know in my heart this morning that you know what I'm going through and what I've been through. And we get to worship him because he's without sin. We all face temptation, right? And most of us within a few days given to that temptation. We can't fully overcome it, but Jesus overcame temptation and was without sin. 
I'm gonna say to us this morning that he knows. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles. He knows how you're being tested. He knows. I haven't signed up for religion, guys. Signed up for a relationship with Jesus. And it's so easy to just fall into the trap. So we've been married, will be 18 years, was 18 years. I can go through the motions of being a husband and being a father. And we can do what I I can do what I have to do in a week and go through the motions. But I want more. I want a great marriage. Yes, Yes, Fred. I want to, this Fred is fueling, throwing petrol on the flame. I want to be, I want to feel in love, not just be two ships passing each other down the, the broad ocean. But who knows, it's gotta be intentional, right? I want to love Jesus. I want to be in love with him. I want to know him, but it doesn't just happen. Sometimes it's being intentional. Sometimes it's pursuing him, running after him. And I want you to encounter Jesus afresh this morning. Maybe you feel like your relationship with him has grown cold and stagnant and dry. Maybe he is a distant, far off God, and this feels like religion. And I want to feel I want to feel his presence. I want fresh encounters with him. I want to know him. See, every person that encountered Jesus was left a different person. And this morning, maybe there's one person here today that needs a fresh encounter with Jesus. Maybe there's one person here today that needs an embrace of our heavenly Father this morning. To hear the words of Jesus saying, I know.